0: welcome to the crit 20 podcast today we have a special guest with us Um, he is a dm with 10 years of experience under his belt dming for dungeons and dragons Um, he sheds some light on some of his secrets and whatnot on how to approach things so i'm going to go ahead and cut the crap and we're going to get straight into this thing everybody kyler wilson
1: Been doing DD before I was doing DD, I was a, a cosplayer, and currently I have a fishing show on YouTube called Fishing After Five. So, D&D cosplay and fishing it's a weird combo, but that's something I do. You can find me at uh fishingafter5.com.
0: I'm actually gonna have to check that out because i I I recently just got into fishing with my wife, so
1: really well, I am the guy for you because I'm I'm a beginner myself. Well, Beginners, relative. I haven't been doing this for years professionally or anything like that, mm-hmm. but I, uh, I try my best. So how long
0: have you been playing um, Dungeons & Dragons?
1: I have been playing D&D for 10 plus years. My first campaign was back in um, 2000, 2007. Yeah, ten years. Were
0: Were you still in school? Because you you looked fairly young. So I was. I was in college. I was at Calhoun. Oh, I was thinking ten years like you'd be in high school or something. Holy crap! You you look you look very young. Thank you, thank
1: you. That's uh something I'm trying to keep up. I'm really 67, so it's a very good compliment.
0: Are you Are you joking? I am. Yes. (laughs) Okay. I was like. I'm not sure if he's being for real, but I, I don't think he's actually 67.
1: <laughs> it would have be been great. I'd love that.
0: But anyway, okay. So, how long would you say your longest campaign has gone?
1: My current campaign has overtaken my first one. Um, my first one lasted two and a half years this one is about to be two and a half years and my current campaign is actually about to end and we're going to pick up with a different campaign with hopefully the same characters so yeah about two and a half years okay so do you
0: do you find it hard to kind of keep it going uh for that long
1: yes uh and there's many reasons why players are fickle sometimes and you have to have the correct players in your game um i've run you know i've not just maybe I've run six or seven games uh as a dm all of these games have been three shot four shot this one we're going on oh man over 100 sessions uh at least
0: Honestly, i think i've maybe played in like four sessions total myself as a player <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm fairly new to it but i like i love the crap out of the game now yes and uh so, like, because when, when I first heard about it, I always I was like, oh, Dungeons and Dragons, I don't want to play that. I don't even want to get into that kind of stuff. Just because it always had that, like, that, uh, the big stereotype that, you know, only like nerdy people play Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And, like, a friend of mine at work ended up turning me onto a podcast, and, uh, it's called uh, The Adventure Zone. I don't know if you ever have you ever listened to it? I have it. It is very good. You have to, you have to check it out. It's on iTunes. But uh, it, it is absolutely hilarious. But that uh, he came up to me one day and he was like, "Hey man, he's like, uh, I heard you you listen to podcasts and uh, he's like, you should check this one." out. I was like, "Oh cool, what is it?" He was like, "It's uh, it's Dungeons and Dragons." But these these guys are all brothers and their their dad plays with them, and it's the most hilarious thing. And uh, so I was thinking, I was like, okay, I'm you know I'll I'll give it a I'll give it a shot. I was you know just to see what it's all about. And from the very first episode. I was hooked. I I've wanted to play it all the time. I like that's a, actually why I started a podcast uh, for Dungeons and Dragons was because I was like this this needs to you know be blown up again. People are like you know people are starting to get into it again, and it's so I mean and it's people from you know every type of background. You don't have to be you know have an IQ of you know whatever to play it. Any anybody can play this. I feel like honestly I kind of feel like everybody should at least give it a try. I agree.
1: Uh, with Critical Role and Matt Mercer, every, D&D has now become a more mainstream thing, which is great. That's excellent. Uh, especially the the way, how do I say it, the story that he tells in that same form used to be sort of rare. Now, I've always played in a campaign that had a story, well, there was more story-based than it was mechanic. Um but now those are becoming way more mainstream, and you're seeing a lot of people on a podcast. I have a friend that does a, a podcast uh, called Bards and Nobles, and his storytelling is incredible. It's something that you just gotta love to listen to. Speaking of Matt
0: Mercer, like every video I've watched of his, he's always doing like crazy voices and stuff. Like his, like, his narrating voice in general is amazing. Oh yes, do, he is amazing. Do you use any kind of uh, like, uh, I guess, do you do any voice acting like that in your campaigns? I
1: try my best. Um, I have about six voices that I use, and I change between all of them. None of them are really good, but it there is a level of immersion that you get from even attempting to do a voice. I, I've been with DMs that don't do voices at all, and they're just speaking, and it's it's hard to tell when it's the DM speaking versus the character. Uh, I think. Even attempting doing a voice, you know, if you're a female and you do a voice like this, that's at least better (laughs) than just. Yeah, I mean, you're you're giving it a different,
0: you know, like a a personality. Yeah. So, like, do you uh, do you do your campaigns? Do you do they take place? You know, like everybody around a table, or do you do it over roll twenty, or
1: how do you do it? Uh, Everybody around the table. I have a bunch of minis. I love having people in the same space. It adds to an energy of the game. Uh, I've noticed on Roll20, you can find games that are really cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. That's just not really for me. But I do play in an online game, and it's with the same people I play with around the table. So you still get that warm feeling of being with friends.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's. I would love to be able to try that sometime just because that's the only experience I have with uh, D&D in general is on Roll20. So I I definitely know what you mean by the the cold feeling, just because uh I'm I'm in the middle of two campaigns and uh, one of them was with a group of friends that I'm relatively familiar with, and another is one that I just kind of joined to see what other what it was like playing with other people, and uh, I I I guess this will kind of lead into my next question, but like there will be times at sessions it's just very boring because you don't you can't tell when you know the dm is talking to you um as a player or talking to your character or what's going on so how how do you uh or and also it sometimes it just gets very boring because they'll they'll focus on one uh player individually while the others are just kind of doing their thing oh man and uh, so what how, – how do you go about keeping everybody interested in the campaign
1: and involved in what's going on? I may talk your ear off on this one. Are you ready? Oh, it's, yeah, it's fine. That's fine. Okay. As a DM, uh, in all my years of DMing, that is one of the toughest things to get around. You will find yourself – say you're at a table and there's – uh, six players. One player doesn't really talk much. If you ever read the 4th uh, edition uh, DM Guide, I think it's the DMG2, uh, you have different sorts of players. You have actors, you have watchers, instigators. That book really helps me get out of that rut of talking to only the most active player at the table. Because, I mean, naturally, you're going to talk to the person that's going to talk back to you. You're not going to really engage the person that's uh, not saying anything. Yeah, You have to keep a mind to bring the spotlight to everyone in the table. Even if it's something silly. If, I, I don't know, if a player in the session isn't really even about this uh, particular player, but the player may find, like, a rat carrying a key running into a sewer and they just see that I mean you just made it up but it gives them time to shine and spotlight and even could lead into more story it's hard to get a watcher to engage with you uh, especially if you have like I mean a watcher being a player that doesn't really speak a lot it's hard to get them to engage with you but sometimes they actually prefer you to not engage they like to be a watcher and that's literally what they do Uh, you'll find a lot of players fall into that particular uh Category, and of course, you know, there's actors who are also instigators and so on, but at a base level, that book really helps um, overcome that. So, it's something I struggle with. Eye contact is uh, something I also struggle with. I tend to look at the right side of the table, no matter which table I'm at, I'm always looking to the right side. I don't know why, I'm insane. So, at, at, coming
0: from the DM perspective, do you do you enjoy being the DM more or do you enjoy being the player more? Because a lot of people say that they, you know, or at least the ones that I've uh, talked to, they enjoy they enjoy being a player more because they can't find DMs. So I guess my mentality is, the way, the way I see it is, so far from what I know is people would rather be players. So where do you stand on that? I hate being a player.
1: Okay. I can't stand it. I, <laughs> I, I, I can't do it. He's kind of a bad player. I'm a really bad player. Because if I don't know, I have this tendency to explain what my character is doing in detail compared to everybody else, and it's it's really weird. It sounds like I'm I'm DMing again uh, again, and I'll stop talking. I'd rather be DM in control of the story, but have the characters be my actors in a, a scene that I said. I like seeing things unfold, and even though I'm interacting with them, I feel like when I'm DMing, I'm taking a back seat to the actual story. And players will surprise you so
0: much. See, that that was actually one of my questions, is how do you, like, how, how often do you run into that? Like, your players, like, com- doing something completely, you know, unthought of? Because, uh, I mean, it seems like that's every D&D session, is somebody's doing something crazy that you could never expect. So how, how do you usually handle those situations?
1: These This happens every single session. I have a, a plan for a a session, and I used to write out all my sessions, but now I have an outline of five bullet points of things I want to hit in an individual session. A player will constantly mess that up, and that's okay, I I want you to. I've seen players use an illegal substance in a fog machine to cure an entire city of a sickness. That was out of left field. I had planned for them to fight something but whatever <laughs> it, it worked it's great that kind of stuff is it has to be rewarded because if a player doesn't have an input in uh, the way the game is going then you typically lose the interest of the player yeah but I deal with it by just rolling with it keeping an open mind um, a lot of times I'll present a problem to the players that does not have a solution and I'll go with whatever sounds the best I'll keep it natural so whatever's it just sounds natural. Sounds like it would flow well. That's what I'm going with.
0: So it's basically like you you let them write the write the story. I do with limit. Yeah, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to be like players always have the mentality that their character is the the best around. they that basically they're not going to die because they're the main you know they're the main individuals. The story can't go on without them. So how do you handle? Um, either killing characters or do you try to avoid killing them um, but bringing them close
1: to that or how, how do you handle those kind of situations the dice will fall on what it falls on that is a rule i didn't always do that as a dm i would uh i would think okay if my, i kill my players i don't have a game now that my campaign is currently ending anytime these players mess it up they can die and that's it and they're done <laughs> uh, they can make new characters of course but i'm As I grow as a DM, I'm becoming less lenient. Um, That is not to say I won't cut and throw you a bone uh, every now and again. I've had a, my players were facing off against a reskinned death tyrant. And I had a sorcerer who had 43 hit points. And this was his first game with us. No, second game with us. And as one of the lair actions of this death, death tyrant uh, he opened up a portal on a random player and shot them. Shot a disintegration ray uh, for 46 damage and the poor sorcerer was disintegrated. <laughs> I had to throw him something on his second game. So I let him come back uh, with some good
0: story. Where do you draw inspiration from for your campaigns? Cause I, I know you said it's been going over two years, is it? Yeah, two and a half. And it's, so I guess where where do you get your ideas from? Uh, when you do each
1: new session. Oh man, uh, another long answer. I'm sorry. It's all good. So when I started D&D, um, my first DM was a guy named Hollis. And Hollis told a very critical role-like story. He, You had to be in character at the table. And he told an apocalyptic story, <laughs> which was really interesting for me because it was, your world is ending. What are you going to do about it? So my campaign right now is actually a continuation of his old campaign in the same world, uh, about a thousand years later. So it's it's modern times. So there's cars and the players have cell phones and they can take pictures on their phones and so on. Um, but I have drawn a lot from Curse of Strahd for this. Uh, the game that we are playing is a heavily reskinned version of Curse of Strahd, where Strahd isn't necessarily well Strahd has been renamed to court and he is currently in a place far and away from the players but is are is affecting them uh in many many different ways so there's a coming apocalypse he's
0: kind of hastening it would you say that the modern
1: time period is like your like your go-to time period or it do you- is I I know it's Tough to think about because, you know, in D&D you're thinking horses instead of cars and yeah uh, and instead of planes. But minor adjustments, it's the way you have to look at the, the game itself, it is very small changes. Um, certain times cell phones might not work. You don't have signal, you know, but modern day is my go to because I can relate with it more. I feel that modern day D&D games aren't really played a whole lot. And that's okay, because most people who are playing D and D or wanting high fantasy.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I always put. Like, well, for one, anytime that uh, I'm at work, people are always like, "Oh, you're gonna play D and D and your dragons and stuff," and I'm like, "Dude, I've never heard you know of running into any kind of dragon while I have playing." <laughs> so I don't I don't know why it's Dungeons and Dragons, because I've yet to be in a dungeon, I've yet to fight any kind of dragon. Um, oh man. So how how, how does how does that go? Because I've never I've ne- I haven't even listened to an episode on a podcast or anything like that where players fight a dragon. Have you thrown any dragons into yours? Oh
1: yes, there are in my world there are only ten dragons left about around that area. Uh, they've met one, two, three, five. They've met five of these ten dragons left. Uh, they killed two of them. So I, I throw them at places where you don't expect them. For instance, one of my players uh, was in the desert, and they had gotten separated from the rest of the players after a, um, uh, I believe it was a perception check that they failed. They got separated, ended up in a different part of the desert, and a bronze dragon actually found them and forced the player to tell them a story. Um, the player told them a story, and the player was flown back to their friends. Uh, other times... The ending of our season two, uh, we, we have, you know, the campaigns and seasons. Uh, the ending of our season two was against two white dragons who were occupying an ancient tower that had the MacGuffin that the players needed. So you're never wrong, really just throwing a dragon out there. Don't overuse them, but also don't play down their powers. Dragons can destroy players. Even high magic, highly modified games my white dragon, whose name was Lethandris, nearly wiped the players, which I didn't think he would, but he he did. Do you, Do you find it hard to, um, to
0: I guess write a dragon into modern day, or like do you like do you have lore behind your dragons?
1: I do, and it's not so hard to write them. They're just elusive, and you'll probably never see one ever. Um, if you go out into the far reaches, yeah, you'll you'll probably find uh, a dragon, but yeah, they look really hard, as there's what eight left now in the world so back on to uh uh the voice
0: acting in general do you i guess do, when when all your players sit down at the table do you encourage the them to use the voices to uh play voices and whatnot or i
1: absolutely do i have only one player that does not use a voice for his character and it it's two it stands out because you can't really tell when that player is speaking as the character or as the player uh Everybody else uses a certain voice, which is great. I, I actually, I prefer that um, because that puts everybody on the same level. Where you're talking in dumb voices at a table. That's one. Of, that's one of my biggest faults. Is any time that
0: I'm playing, like I like, I guess when I when I'm thinking about it going into a session, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do this character voice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this just to see if it kind of fits. And then as soon as I start playing, it's like none of that ever happened that talk never happened hey that's just practice that's okay i feel i feel like a a good bit of it's like just uh like not nerves but uh like you don't want to embarrass yourself kind of but i don't Mm -hmm. and i don't even know why i think that because the whole time the uh you know i've got other players and the dm doing voices and it's like you know i don't know i guess
1: i i start judging myself i understand it's easy to get stuck in your own head with it i i had that same issue i think uh, in my first campaign, it was maybe like six sessions where I, I really figured out a, a voice for my character. So, when you when you have when
0: as a DM, you have to you know do voices for all these different people. Do you, how how do you find the way to keep track of you know like a reoccurring character? Um, how do you keep their voice intact? I guess.
1: Well, one half my players remind me. The other half, the reoccurring characters reoccur so often that it's easy to keep track. I, I have uh, like an alchemist named Kim who has a deeper voice. She's a, a sun elf and she's a like a classical D&D sun elf where they're like seven feet tall and kind of stocky. Um, she has a deeper voice, but I, I try to keep it feminine. And they have uh, another sorcerer NPC that uh, I, I try, underline, try to do a more British, uh, softer voice. So, I mean, it, I guess it's just memorization of the characters. Uh, when they first came out, they didn't have that, but as they grew on me and grew to the story, the voices for them became easier.
0: Like, like you became familiar with them and everything?
1: Yeah, Then I had my silly characters like Bryngar the Barbarian. He's a clockwork barbarian with his uh, mustache in the shape
0: of clock hat. <laughs> so do you play um, 5e or do you play a different version?
1: I play fifth edition. I started in fourth. Uh, our first campaign was fourth edition, with and we were like level 27 when it ended, and we each had two characters. Fourth edition is the <laughs> longest system you'll ever play. Fifth is such a huge update uh, upgrade from four. See, it's,
0: now I've been told that like fifth edition was like way simpler. Oh, than... Yeah. All the, okay, so, like, what what's so different about um, the 4th edition and whatnot? Like, what's, what's the biggest difference? Okay, so,
1: this is going to get a little technical. 4th edition, players had actions, or not action surges, um, healing surges. And they were nearly invincible. Also, uh, so, one, you couldn't kill players. You couldn't do it. They're not going to die. Sorry. Two... Everybody had an immediate interrupt. So let me take you through a simple round in 4th edition right around level 20. Most people didn't make it to level 20, but when you did, it became stupid. So I attack, boss has an immediate reaction, rogue has an immediate interrupt that interrupts that immediate action. However, the bard has an immediate interrupt on his immediate interrupt that's going to heal him when he does this particular thing, and since a heal went off, the Paladin now has an immediate reaction to do this thing. And the whole round is setting off immediate reactions. It's... at high levels it gets tedious. I will never do it again. (laughs) (laughs) And that's
0: that's all between just one person's attack? Yes! Oh wow, that is crazy. got powerful
1: though you felt really good when you're rolling 147
0: damage when you when you've got everybody around the table do you do you like to use music when you're playing also oh yeah
1: i i can't i don't like being in a game without music i have a specific playlist since i'm not online or monetized i just play anything i want and i have a playlist i have about 15 different playlists with the name of a mood that I want to set, like I have a mysterious or a creepy, or a happy or a peaceful, or hopeful, even. So yeah, I, it's all being controlled by iTunes. I I have to have music in a game. Yeah, I've I've yet to
0: play in a campaign with music, so I I don't know what that feeling is just yet. But I'm hoping that's that's coming. Oh, it's a difference. It's an absolute difference. Yeah, you should play in a game with us. Do you guys do uh? you guys have like play on roll 20 very often we don't but we do have skype and we have some loudspeakers. oh that that is true that is true i don't know why i keep thinking it has to be on roll 20.
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey one day if you want to sit in on a game i know my campaign's about to end but on a random day if you want to come sit in and uh maybe play with everybody that you're more than welcome to yeah that would def that'd be awesome
0: sure how how hard do you find it to get all your players together, like for with schedules and whatnot? Or I guess the first question should be, how many players do you have in your campaign? Six. Yes, yeah, six. Okay, and then how hard is it to get them all together and their schedule to fit all at the same time? Seven
1: ish. Uh, not at all hard, actually. These guys are, you know, we're we're all adults. We're in our late twenties. We're programmers. We work from eight to five. So uh, every Tuesday night. From seven to ten thirty, we're playing, and there's not really a whole lot of scheduling issues. I'm lucky in that aspect, though, because that is not always true for every game. I know a lot of DMs have troubles getting those schedules to align, but I have lucked out with my players. Not many DMs get to end the campaign, if you know what I
0: mean. Yeah, it, it probably helps that it's been going on for two and a half years, so that's like a, yeah, it's something you work your schedule around at that point. I feel like. Indeed, it it really is. So, what would what are some tips that you would give to new DMs that you I guess that you learned a lot on your you know trip your voyage from you know a starter to where you are now?
1: Number one, play. Just play D and D. If you can't find a, a DM to play with, become the DM. There needs to be more DMs out there. Two, read the fourth edition DMG2. It'll tell you about the kinds of players and how to deal with them. And you will find that your game will skyrocket at that point uh, because you're better able to. You have a guideline of how to engage players. Three, move the spotlight around. I can't tell you how important it is to engage every player at the table and understand that some players don't want to be engaged and that's completely okay. Mm, what else (laughs) uh try not to get too rules heavy i know the rules are there and they help but sometimes the rule of cool needs to win Uh, and you need to be able to just kind of wing the story sometimes so i'd say come up with seven or eight different scenarios that you have in your head for just a random event or when some player goes off to do something completely unexpected, you're not you know, caught off guard by it. Oh man, it's like I'm, I'm talking to myself when I, I started. What else? Oh, plan out your encounters. Um, use Cabold Fight Club. I, I run a high magic game So a lot of my stuff has to be modded because the players will wreck anything that's not 200 HP or above. So make sure you plan out your encounters and have fun with encounters. Tank and spanks are great. But lately, in late game, I haven't been modifying characters or the monsters at all, but I've been finding more monsters with synergy. And because they work well together, it becomes hard for players to fight. And I found that players are more excited when they start getting the upper hand on these synergetic creatures so yeah I guess keep the players excited keep them satisfied
0: do you have any uh social media that you would like people to visit that they could find you on or follow you on uh, such as like twitter instagram or whatever that you uh, feel comfortable giving out sure
1: my facebook page is scummy bear um you can just type in scummy bear it's facebook.com slash scummy bear uh B3AR Uh, My fishing page is fishingafter5.com You can find me on YouTube Um, My Twitter is twitter.com slash scummybear uh, B3AR again And uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have
0: Take this time to thank everybody for listening to the podcast um, it was great having Kyler on so be and be sure to follow all of his social media go and uh, follow him on Twitter go like his Facebook page um, and check out his website and his YouTube um, after talking to him he it's obvious he's a very knowledgeable person I can I will definitely try to have him on the show again and I'll also be contacting him to um, when it comes to me DMing my first game Uh, because I know I'm going to have questions and I, I have no doubt in my mind that he would be able to answer any kind of questions that I might have. If you guys could leave a rating on iTunes or even a review, that would be amazing. If it's one star, cool. Five stars, even better.